knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Exodus chapter 20, which has God giving the Ten Commandments. And the first thing before God gives any commandment that he wants people to start to follow, he shares a couple of things about himself. Uh, first, God reveals who he is. He says, I'm God of your forefathers, the, the God of the covenant, the God who's uh, promised all these wonderful things for you. And then second, he reveals what he's done. You know, I'm the one who's delivered you from Egypt, delivered you from slavery in all these miraculous ways. And, and this is so important for us to understand because it's helping them understand, hey, I'm the one who is uh, able to command of you because of all that I've done for you. Uh, and so you should accept the fact that I have the right uh, to ask for your obedience. Uh, and another important thing we noted about these Ten Commandments is they were given in order to bless the nation. Israel in order to bless us, you know, they're not given to, you know, kind of spoil our fun or ruin our life. They're given because it's the best way for us to live because God knows us best and he knows that obedience to these commandments is what's best for us. And we also noted that the Ten Commandments deal with two different relationships. The Four commandments are kind of on that vertical relationship between us and God. Uh, we, we noted those uh, commandments last week. Uh, the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. This is really the, the most important commandment of all. You know, if you don't start with this, if you're trying to have other gods before God or, uh, you know, in place of God, it's never going to work. He can be the only God in our lives. Uh, the second commandment, you shall a carved image of anything to worship. You know, God doesn't want us worshiping any uh, related images. He doesn't want us to uh, try to enhance our worship through that because it doesn't enhance it. It only hinders it. He doesn't want us praying to some image we've made. He wants us praying to him. He doesn't want us trusting in some image. He wants us trusting in him. Worshiping images ultimately destroys our relationship with the Lord. And the third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He doesn't want us to misuse his name. He doesn't want us to associate his name with things that are false and untrue about who he is. Don't use it flippantly. Don't use it as profanity. Don't use it as blasphemy. Don't use it in a disrespectful, false way. It should be in a respectful, reverent way. And the fourth commandment was to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And this was something that we noted was such a blessing for everybody. You know, because in that culture, it was mainly just men who were able to take a break. If you were a slave, you never got a day off. Typically, women didn't get time off. You know, animals definitely didn't get time off. And he even included the animals in this. Once a week, everybody was going to have a day of rest. And we also noted that with that came a time where they would kind of just focus and come together, you know, on the Sabbath and worship God together and just spend time growing in the relationship of the Lord together. So those are the first four commandments. They deal with our relationship with God. They're essential to our relationship with God. 
But Jesus revealed something about, you know, the fact that every one of these Ten Commandments really needs to be based on love, on love for God and on love for our fellow man. Mark 12, 28 through 31 says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, the greatest one is ultimately love God with all that you are, or your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I want you to realize, if you do that, if you love God with everything that you are, you will keep these first four commandments that connect to that relationship with God. If you love God, you're not going to have other gods. You're not going to worship other gods. That's not loving to the God that you have. If you love God, you're not going to have some image that you create and start to worship and pray to. That's not love for God. If you God, you're not going to take his name in vain. If you love God, you're not going to abandon the rest that he's offered and, and not fellowship with other believers and grow in your relationship with him. And so if you truly love God, you're going to keep these first four commandments. But the thing we'll also know, if you love others, then you'll keep the next six commandments that are focused on our relationship with other people. But the thing that I think I really want us to know before we get into the second six here is the fact that our relationship with God is essential for our relationship with others. That what your relationship with God is like is going to have a direct impact on how you have relationship with others. If your relationship with God is good, it's going to have a knock-on effect that's going to influence the other relationships you have, which will benefit them, which will help them to grow, be good. You know, if you want to be a good husband, a good wife, you better have a good relationship with Jesus. You want to be a good parent, you need a good relationship with Jesus. You want to be a good friend, you want to be a good coworker. That relationship with Jesus is essential for all the other relationships to function the way that God wants them to function. And so before we get into the second six, which is kind of focusing on our, you know, how we relate to others, we need to not lose sight of the fact that these first four are the most important in the sense that our relationship with God, if you neglect these first four and say, you know what, yeah, but I do, you know, five through ten or, or six through ten, you know, hey, I, I'm doing really well with the, the relationship I have with others, but, you know, yeah, with God, no. Well, if you're not doing well in the first four, you won't do well in any of them because our relationship with God, whether it's doing well or not, is going to determine the rest of the relationships that we have. And so we're going to look at the six commandments that God gives to others. Tonight we're going to look at the first three, and then next week we'll look at the second three. Um, and so the first commandment that God gives is dealing with one of the most important relationships. The top relationship by far is our relationship with God. But I would say the second most important relationship that we have that helps uh, develop us, that helps us grow, that helps us learn what is right and wrong is the relationship between parents and child. And let's see what God commands of that. In Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 12, it says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So the fifth commandment that God gives is that we should honor our father and our mother. Now this Hebrew word translated honor means to hold a person in high esteem, to elevate them to a place of importance, reverence, and profound respect, to honor them. 
So this is really, the when you take God out of the equation, he's definitely the most important. But from an earthly perspective, with our relationships with other people, this is the most important relationship that we have. And I think that's why it's the first one on this list of these relationships that we have with one another. The one that we have between parents and their children is so important because from your parents, you learn so much. Now, unfortunately, for some people, they learn a lot of things that aren't right. But, you know, your parents are the ones who are supposed to teach you morality, supposed to teach you what's right and wrong, supposed to show you how to live a good life in the society that you belong in. I mean, there's so many things that a parent is supposed to teach a child, and that relationship is so essential. Because if that parent doesn't do that, you know, these children grow up to be these crazy, sinful people. Um, but if the parent does do what they're supposed to, it's a, just a huge difference in the culture. But because this relationship is so important, it's not surprising that this is something that Satan attacks, attacks greatly. You know, he wants to attack the relationship between parent and child. He wants to do everything he can to destroy that, to divide that, to keep parents uh, from effectively, you know, influencing their kids, to keep kids from even listening and wanting to do what their parents say. And unfortunately, he's been very effective. You know, you look at our culture, uh, you look around the world, uh, you look through history, Satan has very much been effective in dividing and destroying families. Uh, and, you know, there are some parents who have totally neglected or abandoned their kids, and he's been very effective in that because once, especially fathers who have left the home, you know, there's huge devastation that comes to the kids because of that. Uh, but, you know, Satan doesn't just attack the parents. He also attacks the kids. He wants to do everything he can to keep kids from showing honor, from showing respect, from showing obedience, the things that the Bible specifically tells them to show towards parents. He wants to keep that from happening and destroy that parent-child relationship. But the focus here of this you know, fifth commandment is really focusing more so on the child role toward the parents. And so that's how we're going to kind of look and uh, focus on the most. And we're told that there should be honor. Now, something that's interesting, and we noted this when we were in the book of Colossians, also in the book of Ephesians, obedience is temporary. You know, children obey your parents, and I would say it lasts as long as you're in the home, as long as you're under your parents' roof, as long as you're in that role of, of being, you know, under their authority and, and living on, you know, their support. You should completely obey what they have for you, unless they're asking you to do something that, you know, contradicts God's word. You're in that role of obedience. But then, you know, you leave that, you mature, you grow up, you're in your own home, and so that role doesn't last for the rest of your life, but honor does. Honor doesn't matter if you're, you know, a 10-year-old child or, you know, a 41-year-old adult, you know, no matter what, you're supposed to continue to show honor to your parents as long as they are living, and so you want to esteem them, hold them in high esteem. That's part of that definition. Uh, you know, hold them in high esteem for all the sacrifices that they've done for you, for bringing you into this world, for the love that they've shown for you, you know, all the ways in which they provide for you or have provided for you. And a practical way to do that is just to thank them, you know, to take time to actually verbalize the appreciation that you have for the things that you've done. And, and I'm sure that all of us can look at our parents 
and see things that they haven't done and, and areas where they've fallen short. And all of us who are parents, we realize we're in that boat. We haven't been perfect. But, you know, but as kids, you know, let's look at what they've done. You know, let's look at how they provided. You know, maybe they weren't so great at showing love, but at least they put a roof over our head and, and made sure we had a meal to eat every night. And you know, look at the things that they did do and express the appreciation we have for that. Um, we also need to honor them by elevating them to a, a place of importance, of reverence, of respect. Um, and, and we can do that by spending time with them. We can do that by talking with them on the phone or, you know, as they get older. And actually, I'm having conversations with my brother and sister about the practical need of taking care of my parents. They're kind of, you know, my dad is forgetting things a lot, doesn't know where he is. And so we're starting to recognize, you know what, we're getting to a point where we're going to have to make some decisions on behalf of my parents uh, that are going to be interesting. But hey, we need to come together and recognize in honoring them there's going to come a time when we actually have to take care of them. Uh, and so that's something that we should be doing uh, in that regard as well. And, you know, for some people, this is easy. This is natural because their parents are great. Their parents loved them. Their parents took care of them. Their parents were just wonderful parents. And so it's kind of it's a natural thing to respect them, a natural thing to obey, to honor. But for other people, their parents were jerks. Maybe their parents abandoned them or maybe... First, their parents abuse them, maybe physically or verbally or even sexually. Uh, and so now you have a situation where it's like, man, I have no respect for this person who left me when I was one or who did these horrible things to me. And now we're in a difficult situation where it's like, you know, how do I show honor to someone I don't feel deserves it? How do I show honor and respect to someone who's done these things to me? And this is where, with all the commands of God that we see ultimately with relationships where he commands us to do things, whether it be marriage or family, you know, first and foremost, we do it not because the other person's deserving, but because God tells us to. They say, no, I'm going to honor the undeserving person, Lord, because of the command that you give me, not because they deserve it, not because they're wonderful. And that might be your situation where that parent doesn't deserve any of those things, but you're doing it unto the Lord, not because you feel it or not because you feel like they have deserved it for something that they have accomplished for you. But, you know, I would also say another way we can show honor in that situation is just praying, Lord, I need to forgive them. I need you to help me to forgive them for all that they've done to me and then to start showing love to them because of you know all the hurt and everything. And that's a way to honor them to come to a place where you just forgive them, even if they haven't even come and asked for it, that you are willing to show that forgiveness to them as the Lord forgives us. But notice that God adds a wonderful promise. He says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, this is interesting because you got 10 commandments here, and this is the only commandment that God attaches this positive promise to. We, we saw a few negatives. You don't do this. This is going to happen negatively to you. But this is the only one where it's like, you know what? If you do this, if you honor your parents, there's this positive blessing that I promise to give to those who do that, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So God's saying, hey, you do this, I in turn am going to make it well with you and I'm going to make your life long. This is going to be the blessing that you have for doing this command towards your parents. And I'm sure all of us, hey, yeah, that's, I would like it to be well with me in my life. And for most people, you know, I would like to have a long life. And God's saying, hey, this is a, this is something that I'm connecting with doing this command. But I think the implication is also, if you don't honor your parents, the opposite is true. It's not going to be well with you, and you're probably not going to live very long. 
And you know what? You can look through just even the last 20 years of our culture, and you can see so many deaths of young people that ultimately you can associate back to the fact that they did not obey their parents, did not listen to their parents, didn't do the things that their parents were telling them to do, to live in the society the way that they should, and they got all involved in so many different things that you know ultimately put them into a place where they got shot, or they overdosed, or they had something happen, where their life ended so much quicker because they didn't put this into practice. And so this is an important relationship. This is something that you see that, you know, kids who don't have this are more likely to steal, more likely to murder, more likely to get involved in drugs, more likely to have premarital sex, more likely to covet. You know, there's all these things that negatively associate with children who do not have uh, this relationship. And so I, I would say, you know, this is important, but also note, it's not just on the kid's side. It's not like, well, it's all up to you, <laughs> you know, because guess what? Children aren't born saints. You know, I know there are a lot of people who think that, are like, oh, we're all born good. Well, actually, no, we're born little sinners. Uh, and so children need to actually be taught how to obey. They need to be taught how to honor. They need to be taught what is right and what is wrong. But they don't just, you know, they're not born with that. You know, I mean, anybody who has kids right away when they're real little, you just see that. It's like no one taught them, you know, that behavior. You know, no parent is sitting down, you know, teaching these negative things. It's just, it's in them. They're born with it. We're the ones who are called to show them and teach them what to do properly, even though they're born with things that are sinful. And so if parents are doing that role of, showing the kids, training the kids, doing what the Word of God says, and then it's the child's responsibility to turn around, obey that, honor that, and when those two things come hand in hand, uh, that relationship can be just a wonderful thing for the society. But you look at our culture today, you can realize how problematic you know, I mean, the breakdown of the home is just getting worse and worse. You know, I mean, how many fatherless homes there are, you know, just how many homes where you just don't have any spiritual leadership at all. You know, I mean, even just, you take away even just kind of the, the Christian morality of, you know, people who are believers in Christ. I mean, there's just not a moral standard in a lot of homes anymore. And just, you know, and I think, you know, the rise of evolution and other thoughts of like, you know, we're just accidents anyway. Uh, that doesn't really give much of a value of life. But, you know, we're just seeing much change and younger generations who are now being raised with very much disrespect and dishonor for any authority, you know, and it's, it's a problem and it's growing uh, in our culture because we're not obeying this commandment that God gives. Um, the sixth commandment, one that we wish everyone would obey, verse 13, you shall not murder. So God tells us you shall not murder. Sixth commandment. Now, in order to really get what this is saying, I think we need to make sure that we understand the difference between murder and killing. Because there's a lot of people who have come to this commandment and said, well, you can't do this and you can't do that because they're associating killing with murder. And so we need to understand there's actually a difference, a difference that the Bible clarifies, uh, a difference that God says. And so we need to understand that you know there can be justified killing that God says is okay, but murder is never okay. Uh, and so the main difference between murder and killing is this. Murder is the taking of life without legal justification. So it's the taking of life without someone going through the legal process, being found guilty, and then after that, their life is taken from them. They don't have that legal justification, that legal process, but it's also the taking of life without moral justification. 
The taking of life without a moral justification, you know, like self-defense, like defense of your country. But killing is the exact opposite. It's the taking of life with legal justification. So someone, they go, you know, they're tried, they, they... Their jury finds them guilty. The evidence shows that they're guilty of, say, murder. Uh, And now we sentence them to death. So there is a legal justification for them to be killed, and our government sentences them and follows through and executes them. That is not murder. That is killing that God sees as justified and okay, and that is not under this command of you shall not murder. But it's also taking life without more with, sorry, moral justification. So, you know, someone breaks in your home, they're going to try to kill you and your family. You have a moral justification of defending yourself, defending your family. If you were to kill them in that process, you wouldn't be charged with murder because you didn't murder them. You know, it's killing. You are, are, have the right to self-defense. Or if you are a soldier, you have the right to defend the country of America. That's not considered murder. It's considered um, killing. And it's a very different thing. And so there's one that is legally and morally justified, and there's one that's not. Uh, and so we've got to be careful with that, because some people will, will throw things out there that say, well, how can you believe this? The Bible says you shall not murder. Well, because you're actually referring to killing, uh, as opposed to murder. And so, but you know, this is a huge problem. You know, we have a huge problem with murder in our culture. You know, it's on the rise, especially in many cities like Chicago. But I just looked up, you know, the FBI, and I was so saddened by this, they said that in 2018, the estimated number of murders in the U.S. was about 18,000. I'm thinking, no, it's far higher than that because the sad thing is they do not include abortion as murder. And so, you know, if the numbers were including abortion, the crazy reality is in 2018, approximately 900,000 babies were aborted. Oh, we only had 18,000 murders. No, we almost had a million murders because we murdered so many innocent babies. And this is a huge issue in our country. Since 1973, Roe v. Wade, when abortion has been legalized, we have murdered just in the U.S. alone over 61 million babies. Worldwide, 2 billion. I mean, it's crazy how much murder just in that specific area has taken place. And God is not pleased with that. This goes against his commands. Now, probably we would look at our own life and say, well, you know, I'm not guilty of murder I don't plan on being guilty of murder at any time in my life. Well, yeah, maybe the physical act of taking someone's life, you know, without legal justification or moral justification, I hope you never do. But you know what? Jesus brings the the command to something more than just the physical action, but also to the heart. Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You know, the Sermon on the Mount really takes the law and helps people see you actually can't keep it. Because a lot of people, you know, you might raise your hand and say, well, I'm not guilty of murder. I've never killed anyone. Well, well, wonderful. Jesus would say, but have you done it in your heart? Because if you've been angry with someone, Have you ever said and and wanted someone's death? Maybe even you verbalize it, I wish you were dead. You know, a lot of kids say that to their parents or, you know, say that to others. You know, if you have that anger towards someone, Jesus saying you've murdered them in your heart. The physical act might have not taken place, but it's taken place in your heart and you're guilty. 
before the Lord. Well, how do we do that when we think people deserve it? How do we do that when we feel like, man, if you only knew the kind of person that this was, if you only knew what they did to me, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God doesn't want us to respond with murder. He wants us to respond with love. To love our enemies, to love those who persecute us, to love those who come against us, to love those who do horrible things against us. No, it's not easy. Actually, it's impossible in and of ourselves. This is why we are in such great need of the power of God to enable us to do what he's called us to do. The seventh commandment, definitely on the rise in our culture today. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. The seventh commandment God gives us is do not commit adultery. You know, the Bible has a lot of different things to say about sexual sin, but this is a particular one. Adultery is when a married person has uh, sex with someone other than their spouse, or a single person has sex with someone who is married. Now, there's fornication, there's other things that are, are sexual sins, but God's specifically speaking about this one. Within the marriage covenant, the one covenant where God says, I designed sex, it's been a great thing for one man and one woman who've committed their life together in marriage, I give it to them. But anything outside of that is wrong. Anything outside of that is not something that's acceptable. It's sinful. Now, sadly, in our society, adultery has become more and more accepted, and because of that, more and more committed by people. But the thing that bothers me is you see really kind of an agenda TVs, with movies, with things where it's just kind of thrown in there more and more as the norm. Like, you know, it shouldn't be something that we look at with disgust or look at with like, oh, I can't believe that happened. It's just kind of, well, that's just normal. You know, you just get sick of your spouse and you go with someone else and, you know, it's just what happens. It's just kind of the normal way of life. And this is the way that so many movies and TV shows just kind of portray these types of relationships. And sadly, there are whole shows, even whole seasons of shows, kind of just focused on this, just people committing adultery through the whole thing. And sometimes they're not even trying to hide it. You know, even within the name of the movie or the name of the TV show, it's like, yeah, this is what the whole movie's about. I mean, think of some of the movies, like Unfaithful. Yeah, they didn't even try to hide it. The whole movie's about someone being unfaithful to their spouse. Fatal Attraction, Indecent Proposal, Desperate Housewives. They have a whole season, or many of them, you know, about, you know, that doesn't take, you know, about rocket science to figure out what that's all about. But, you know, when it comes to adultery, we need to be aware of the fact that the world is trying to numb us to the severity of this, that it's no big deal, that it's just something that people do and it's acceptable in our culture. And that's the farthest thing from what God feels and believes. And we need to recognize it is horrible, it is devastating, and there's no reasons that we can give that can be biblically justified for committing adultery. I've heard a lot of them, I'm sure you have as well. People try to justify it. 
You know, they, they want to give their reasons for why it's okay to commit this sin. You might say, you know, my spouse doesn't understand me anymore, so I need to be with someone else who does. And that's a justification for committing this sin. Or my spouse doesn't love me like they should, and I need to be with someone who loves me more. Or I just fell in love with this person, and there's nothing I could do about it, so, you know, that, that's just the way it is, and so now I, I'm justified in, in committing adultery with them. Or I just felt lonely, so I thought I would look elsewhere. Or the worst of all, God's led me to this person, and so, you know, it's okay, because, you know, God's kind of the one who's directed me to this other relationship, which is not ever the case. You know, I remember, I think it was in the early 90s, you know, hearing about uh, Christian, you know, he was a singer named Michael English. He lost his recording contract over committing adultery with another, you know, Christian singer. So you got these two Christian singers who commit adultery together. But the thing, you know, in the aftermath of it all, he says, maybe God allowed this to happen to make me see I needed some freedom. No, that's not why God allowed this to happen, and that's not what God wanted you to see in this. He wanted to see that you were in sin and you need to repent, but it just shows kind of the place that people come to, especially in this sin, where we just want to justify the action instead of confessing the reality that we have done something completely against what God would want us to do. And so let me make something very clear. In the eyes of God, there is no justification for committing adultery, period. There's never any type of justification that you could give biblically that says, yes, it's okay for me to do this. I don't care how bad your spouse is. I don't care how loving they are. There are things that the Bible says that you could get out of the relationship because of it. Adultery is one of them. But you know, there's no reason biblically that you can commit adultery no matter how horrible the person you're married to is. Now, the Bible's full of warnings. And I appreciate this, especially about sins that are committed so frequently of just helping us see, because the world paints this picture of how wonderful it is, and these movies paint it like, oh, it'll be so much pleasure and so great and so wonderful, it's normal, just do it. But then you come to Scripture and you read something very different. And probably the one uh, book of the Bible that brings the most warnings against adultery is Proverbs. And I think that's interesting because it's written by a man named Solomon, who had, you know, what was it, 300 wives and 700 concubines or the other way around. I mean, here's a man who committed lots of problems in, you know, <laughs> this area of his life. But notice what Proverbs 6, 23 through 35 says. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are on the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with their eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does, not, he who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will, not ex he will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give many gifts. Here, there's a, just a clear revelation from God of the fact that adultery is going to destroy your life. 
Wounds and dishonor you will get. Reproaches won't be wiped away. The jealousy and the fury and the vengeance that's going to come from the spouse that wasn't part of this, especially a husband. It doesn't matter how many gifts you give. It doesn't matter what you want to say. That guy's coming for you. He's coming to probably take your life. And you got to understand the consequences for this action are huge. And I think this is so important to understand and remember because Satan wants to try to blind us from this. Blind us from the damage of sin. Blind us from, you know, oh, just see the pleasure. Just see the benefit. Just see the allure of it instead of watch and see what this will do to devastate your life. But you know what? It doesn't just destroy you and the other person you're committing adultery with. It destroys families. Yeah, this is another one of those things where I just want you to recognize, you know, when God says, don't do this, some people say, oh, you just don't want me to love this person. You're just trying to spoil my life. You're just trying to remove pleasure, remove happiness. No, I'm trying to save you from destruction. I'm trying to save you from the devastation this will bring. You see, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It's forbidden because it's going to hurt you. It's forbidden because it's going to ruin your life. And God says, hey, avoid this at all costs. I'm trying to protect you. I don't want you to do this because it's going to destroy you. Warren Wearsby wrote this. There may be excitement and enjoyment and sexual experience outside of marriage, but there is not enrichment. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. You know, one of the most important relationships that we have in life is the relationship between a husband and a wife. And I don't know if there's anything more devastating to that marriage, the thing that will destroy more than anything else, than adultery. God knew it was so devastating that he said, this is one of the reasons that I will give. I want marriages to stay together. I want marriages to work through problems. But you know what? I know how horrible and devastating adultery is that I give you a reason to walk away from the marriage if this happens. God realizes just how horrible this sin is. But you know what? It doesn't just destroy the husband and wife. Think about what that does to the kids. You know, adultery tells a child that the parent who was cheated on is not worth very much. The other parent who did the cheating is a liar and a cheat. It illustrates to your children that honor is not nearly as important as pleasure. It communicates to your children your own satisfaction is more important than anything, including them. You're sending a message, whether you're verbalizing it or not, doing these things, showing them things that are just completely against the Word of God and how He would want us to live. So I hope we're clear of the fact that adultery devastates lives. But just like with five, the fifth commandment and the sixth commandment, this isn't just a, an external act. This is also something that takes place in the heart. Jesus, again, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Once again, Jesus said, you know, you've heard of the outward sin. You know, yeah, don't commit adultery, don't commit the physical act, but, but let me take it a little bit further for you. Let me show you how the law is not just a physical thing, but it's actually also something of the heart. If you've lusted after a woman, then you've committed adultery with her in your 
heart. The heart is where this sin really originates. You know, normally people don't just, hey, you know what, out of the blue, let's just commit adultery today. You know, this is something that takes time. It's something that, you know, people are lusting over something. It's happening in their heart. It's, It's working up. And then all of a sudden that grows and grows to the point where they act upon it in a physical way. Now, the example that Jesus gives is of a man lusting after a woman, but it's just a man issue. Women can be just as guilty of this if they are lusting after men. But you know what? It's not, you know, men are more uh, visual. Women are often, you know, more uh, emotional in that way. And there are many women who are guilty of emotionally lusting after other men. Hey, this guy listens to me more. Women love that. They want to be listened to. My husband doesn't listen to me at all. Oh, but this other coworker, he listens to me all the time. And all of a sudden, that emotional connection is what sometimes leads to the physical act. Or, or this one loves me more. He shows me so much more love. Never forgets my birthday. Never forgets these other things. My husband forgets it all the time. He gives me more quality time. You know, there are things that, that are emotional needs that maybe you're seeking outside of your husband, and those can lead to the physical act of adultery. So it's not just an outward problem. It's an inward problem. It's a problem of the heart. And we need to take very seriously what the Lord tells us here because, you know, we live in a culture where we're bombarded with images that are just trying desperately to get us to lust, trying desperately to kind of draw us into this way of thinking, movies, TV, Internet are full of it. Fashion just seems to get promiscuous, more revealing. Even advertisements use lust to try to get us to buy their products. But it's having a devastating effect. A devastating effect on Christians, especially men. Statistics have shown that Christian men say their biggest area of sin is lust. And the most tempting outlet for them is Internet pornography. And this is something that is just devastating, something that has caught so many So what can we do? Paul gives a great practical thing. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. When you're tempted with sexual sin, with lust, with adultery, you know, so often it's like, I'm just going to try to fight with it. I'm just going to muster up enough strength to overcome it. But what we should do is flee from it. Don't mess with those situations. Why? We're weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And too often, I think we put ourselves in situations and around certain people that we should never be around. You know, if there's an individual that you know tempts you, you lust after them, you struggle with them, there's thoughts there, you know what? Flee from that person. Remove them from your life as best you can. You know, if you work with them or something and you can't completely remove them, well, hey, any time that is, don't talk about anything besides work. You know, don't get into conversations that are going to lead to problems. If there are places that you go that are problematic for you, that, you know, cause you to lust, that cause you to whatever, hey, flee those. Don't go to them anymore. If there's movies that you watch, And you know if you see a sex scene in a movie or something comes up, that that's going to be a problem for you, that you're going to be thinking about that. You know, before you watch the movie, why don't you find out what's in it? And if you know that that's going to be in there, don't watch it. Or go get VidAngel and you just remove it out of there to begin with. 
We need to take this seriously. If you're struggling with internet pornography, hey, flee. Put your computer in the middle of the room so everyone sees. You can't hide it. Get things on your tablets and phones to protect you. We don't need to mess around with this stuff. We've got to flee from it and take the steps necessary to overcome it. But imagine the difference, because some people are like, oh, you know, the archaic Ten Commandments, you know, why would our society want to follow that? Imagine what our society would look like if we just followed these three. What difference it would be if children actually honored their parents in our culture? What a difference it would be if there was no murder and there was no adultery. There would be very few lawyers as well. I mean, imagine the difference in our culture if just these three were adhered to by only 80% of our culture. I mean, what a difference it would make. And we can hopefully see, you know what, God has established this to better society, to bless society, that if a society would actually follow this, what a difference it would make. And it's sad because, you know, when we had this in the school, very different. When we had this in government, very different. You know, even our laws, which were based on it, we're starting to pull farther and farther from this. And it's no shock that our culture has all these issues that keep, you know, rising up. Why? Because we want to abandon God's law. We want to get farther and farther from it. <laughs> it doesn't belong in schools. It doesn't belong in, in government. Let's pull the Ten Commandments away. Let's not even talk about that. Well, that's where so many things start to break down and become problematic. But in the church... We better not run from this. Even though the culture doesn't like it, this is what God's word tells us is best for us. And if we will implement this in our lives, it's for our benefit. And as we looked at last week, we do this ultimately for two reasons and one reason that we don't do it. First, we do this because God told us to. I mean, that should always be kind of the number one reason. I'm going to obey because the creator of heaven and earth, he's commanded me. But the second reason should be, I'm doing this because I actually trust and believe this is what's best. Not like, oh, I'm kicking and screaming and I'm having to do this, but that I realize and believe that if I do these things, it's the best way for me to live. It's the best way for me to interact with God and for others, that these commandments are best for me. But the one thing we need to always be careful of is I don't do this for God's approval. I don't do this to be saved. I don't do this, you know, ultimately I have to obey this in order for God to love me. No, we have all of that in our relationship with Jesus who kept all these commandments for us and died for the ones that we break. So the relationship we have is all centered on Christ, not on this. But now that we've accepted Christ and we want to know how God wants us to live, we seek to do this. But the great thing is when we fail, we can come back to the one who died for our sin, who paid for the price of us failing in this, and we can receive forgiveness. We can receive empowerment by his spirit to overcome and to start living the way that he wants us to again and again. So three very practical commandments based on our relationship with others, our honor to our parents, don't murder people, don't commit adultery. Any thoughts?